What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What did we learn today? Dude, I didn't learn a lot today, to be honest. It was, it was supposed pretty... to learn something new every day or at least give yourself a treat every single day, like a cherry pie or a, a, a piece of coffee. Have you, have you been I'll watching you Twin what Peaks? what I learned today. I think Patrick's been watching Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Kyle McLaughlin and, and his, uh, <clears throat> his trademark piece of coffee that, that he has you know who my favorite cast member of twin peaks is and it's based just upon his name and i don't mean to make light of it because he is a native individual but when i see his name it just brings me such joy is uh michael horse because whenever that's that's a hell of a last name it's a hell of a last name yeah yeah. and honestly like his character on the show is awesome and he's a good actor so i don't mean to belittle him in any way i just love that name you also find him delicious. <laughs> well, not him personally, <laughs> but but his namesake. Uh, we can talk. I mean, Jim can back me up on this, right? The flavor. I'll eat a horse. <laughs> you you tried the horse, right? Yeah, it was fine. Whoa, 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 whoa! It's good. All right, sorry. It was it was fucking good. It tasted like a like a leaner steak. Okay, thank you. Is kind of what it what it was like. But I, I was gonna say I learned something today. I learned that um, I don't think I want to eat conviction chicken ever again. Oh, is that right? So yeah, do you want to talk about your conviction experience? Yeah, I uh, I was convicted and um, I was sentenced to eat <laughs> conviction chicken, uh, which uh, is another pop up restaurant. I don't th- we didn't talk about Flavor Town on the last episode, did we? No, because uh, we had already recorded the last episode by the time Flavor Town rolled around. So I mean, you may want to use that as a segue. True. Um, so, the the new thing we've been into lately is pop up restaurants, which uh, if you folks out in listener land aren't familiar with uh, this new thing. Uh, I, well, we kind of talked about Mr. Beast on. We've one talked episode, about Mr. Beast, so. yeah. We talked about Mr. Beast. So I guess these pop up things keep happening, where like restaurants have like sub restaurants inside of them. <laughs> Yes. This sounds like one and, of those uh, prison to work programs we got going on here uh, with conviction, conviction chicken. chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's interesting to me because most of them seem to be branded. So Mr. Beast, we found out, was some YouTube personality that the uh, that, that the kids are into. And uh, oh, don't give him any uh, sort of money. Yeah, yeah. Don't. I mean, he doesn't deserve it. Especially if you look at the Yelp pages for his restaurant or uh, pop up restaurant, it looks fucking like sub cafeteria level. It, it's it doesn't look good. But uh, Guy Fieri also has one, and we tried that. Um, 
the night that we recorded the uh, or the night before we recorded all the jams for our RPM album. Which uh, and uh, yeah. it was it wasn't um, it wasn't great. It wasn't bad, but like yeah, I, I I was I was a bit underwhelmed myself. You know what I'll say? It was fine. I'll say the fries were fucking dynamite. Not S tier, but definitely A tier. Wow. So I missed out on the fries because I, I've been having, I don't know, issues, I guess, with uh, the, uh, like any DoorDash fries. And, and it's not <laughs> anyone's fault per se. It's just, you know, it takes time for, you know, the food to get here could take up to 40 minutes or so. And fries just don't last that long. They're sort of a spur of the moment food. That's interesting. Thank you. So that that's way. good to know. Uh Next time I'm in that area, uh, I, and I need the fries, oh, 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 and I feel my like going to McDonald's. My friend, my friend, do not fret. I looked earlier today to see if there were any around here because I legit thought about the fries. I was like, I, I, I could go for those fries. <laughs> I could go pick it up, and like, I could, I could just fucking be a monster and get those fries. And uh, there are none in New Hampshire, but there are like twelve in Massachusetts. So I guarantee you, there is one conveniently located for you i was i thought i i looked the other day and i couldn't find any but okay so it's just called flavor town it's guys flavor kitchen. town kitchen yeah and uh just for those mm. playing at home our guest has changed his zoom backgrounds to uh guys grocery games little bodega <laughs> <laughs> oh i thought that was a wegman <laughs> 601 yeah uh, there's one in Reading, Massachusetts. That's not close enough. There's one in Woburn. There's one in Reading. I thought there was one in Lowell or in that area. There's one in Westboro, Marlboro. Yeah, might might not be quite close enough for for uh, your boy, but destination you know fries, what? my uh, man. If I have to stand out in the middle of a field and meet a person for for some <laughs> flavor town, you know, hey, I've done a lot worse for a lot less. <laughs> I can just imagine that video. Just like it should be a music video. Just Patrick what, meeting me someone meeting for the person French who, fries who's going to give me this uh, cold, just lukewarm just food. Just the just the both of you walking from the opposite sides of this huge field, and just bowing at each other, <laughs> and getting the food. That's <laughs> and then me asking the the rider if he can give me a lift to the Tool concert down in Providence. <laughs> you know, it's funny. There are definitely more boring videos out there. Did you ever see the video for Interpol's uh, The Heinrich Maneuver? Oh, man. That's one of the few that I remember from them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just like crossing a street or something. Yeah, and it's basically like an extremely slow motion shot that they start zoomed in like super far. And then they just zoom out as like maybe like five seconds of action happens across like the three and a half minutes of song. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, uh, it's pretty boring. So that's because uh, let's find out. Interpol video for he's typing, so um, you know this is a real search. Yeah, so this is how you know it's a real search. Because I'm saying it. What happens is uh, let's see if there's any information on it. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, maybe we should start. <laughs> the single cover has like a, a, a sort of uh, like oscillate uh, wild cat 
looking thing. If if you go to the Wikipedia, the the single cover for the Heinrich Maneuver, that's pretty cool. Yeah, a serval cat. Okay, yeah, wow. Yeah, the nice album cover was uh, stuffed animals in museums. And when I say stuffed animals, I mean like taxidermied, not like. It would be pretty dope if they uncovered the plush thumper that I had as a five year old, and like put it back together with care the way that like historians do and put it in a museum, saying like this is something that people in 1987 really treasured. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Wait, so you have your Bobo is out yeah. there somewhere? <laughs> I'm just kind of sh- welcome to old men yell at cloud, everybody. <laughs> This is Patrick, and joined as always by Christopher, who was about to say something. Sorry. Oh, no problem. I was just about to say that I I think it's pretty good in 1987 to actually be able to buy a branded product, because I feel like that was not easy back then. Like, if you wanted, like, a plush fill-in-the-blank, I don't think that was readily available. I think it was, like, mostly Teddy Ruxpin or nothing, but I got a thumper, so I uh, I was a happy camper that Easter. It depends on the brand, I guess. Depends on the brand. I, I don't know how many how many poos like how many Winnie the Poos they had going around outside of like the realm of Disney, but I don't know. I'm sure there there are a few knockoff poos here and there. Uh, speaking of poo, we got Jim Schultz here yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we I had a poot when I you know when I was a, a, kid, I had a <laughs> you had a poot a poo knockoff. It was called a poot. <laughs> Winfield's the poot. Have you? I I have made you guys watch the Russian Winnie the Pooh cartoons before, right? I've seen oh, I've God. seen bits and pieces of it. It's, yeah, it's Vinnie Pooh, <laughs> very good. Uh, and and uh, very very uh, psyched to have on again from uh, previous episodes that we did on Oasis and also a Rush episode we did way back. We got John Sasser back on the program. Hey hey, it's our first guest. That's right. It's our first <laughs> guest. first and uh, first third from, timer. From correct. Day. Three yeah, first third timer too. Although we can be honest and say that this is a little bit of uh, savvy marketing synergy. Tonight, we are discussing the seventh studio album from American rock singer-songwriter Bruce the Boss Springsteen. That's right. You're talking about Born in the USA. My goodness. Finally, Born in the USA on the program, on the Omniac program. Uh, It was released by Columbia Records on June 4th. 1984, uh, the album's music was written by Springsteen, of course, and recorded with his E Street Band uh, and produced by Chuck Plotkin and John Landau at the Power Station and Hit Factory in New York City. Uh, It was met with positive reviews, massive commercial success, blah, 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 produced seven top ten singles, uh, promoted a whole worldwide tour for Springsteen. It's one of the highest selling records ever. Uh, sold 30 million copies by 2012. Uh, the album was uh, his first after 1982's Nebraska, which was kind of like a uh, more stripped back. Uh, essentially, Nebraska was like were, were these uh, home demos that he recorded that uh, you know they, they liked the feel of it. He, he he decided he didn't like how the live band situation sounded when he tried to bring it to them, so he like made these home demos and sort of like built on top of it. So this is really his first uh, full band studio album since The River. Uh, His first with the E Street Band since The River, which came out in 1980, uh, which that record uh, itself was a pretty big hit for for Bruce. But uh, 
Yeah, this one cranked out seven hit singles for, for, for the boss. Can I tell a little story about the hit factory yes please Let, let's let's get into the hit factory <laughs> so uh, this is a, tell me about it I, I think all of us will enjoy this because we're all music nerds uh and hopefully you listening will enjoy it as well <clears throat> so a teacher of mine in college worked at the hit factory for years and years and um he is unfortunately deceased at this point but i still don't want to call him out by name just because you know being uh being i guess uh <laughs> respectful about these things but he was telling me a story at one point um, after I saw the picture on his desk of him and John Lennon with their arms around each other uh, when I said, who are you? <laughs> and he started telling me about how he used to work at the Hit Factory and how he did a lot of work on Double Fantasy by uh, Lennon and Yoko. Yes, of course. So apparently he was describing things because I was like, I was like a fucking sponge with this man. Like I, uh, I would hang out with him anytime he took a smoke break and I would just sit there like... You remember those cartoons with, like, the big bulldog and the little shit dog that jumped around it, like, trying to, like, hang out with it? Uh, the, Were you I, a shit dog? I was the shit dog, yeah. But he, he was very oh, gracious with his time um, and, you know, would, would tell me all these tales. So, apparently, I asked him first, like, dude, like, Yoko can't be the monster that people made her out to be. And he's like, no, absolutely not. She was actually a very nice person. Her thing is that she is very business-minded. So, if you are being paid for a project that she is working on, she needs to understand why you are there and what you are adding to the project. Like, he's like, she is completely businesslike, but as soon as she understands like that you're a vital part of the chain, she is your best friend. And to illustrate this, he told me that they would alternate. So he was working downstairs in a workshop repairing equipment. And uh, at one point, Yoko would come down during the day. And at this point, apparently John and Yoko had told each other that they had quit drugs. So Yoko would take out some cocaine and bust out a line and like share some with my old, my former teacher and would say, oh, yeah, yeah, don't tell John. Don't tell John. And he'd be like, oh, all right. So he'd do coke with Yoko and then she'd leave. <laughs> a couple hours later, John would come downstairs and he'd bust out some cocaine. He'd be like, oh, don't tell mother because apparently he called Yoko mother, which is odd, but whatever. Um, so Better yeah, than mommy. Yeah, yeah. So he'd be like, oh, don't tell mother. And he'd be like, okay. So apparently he was doing cocaine on the regular with John and Yoko in this weird cycle with the two of them pretending uh, that they didn't do it with the other, but still just blatantly using coke. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> can we um, can we talk about Mr. Springsteen in the news and, and how upset I am? I don't know if you guys have uh, heard the news but um, well first of all let me let me let me back up a bit here so Bruce Springsteen had a commercial in the Super Bowl this this past Super Bowl uh, it was a cheap commercial and it was very touching it was about America reuniting and all this happy horse shit um, but it was you know it was still nice whatever and uh, apparently back in November, uh, Springsteen was accused of uh, driving while intoxicated. And from what I'm reading here, he was in a park. He did some fucking tequila shots and um, they arrested him. And I, I, I don't know all the details, but apparently he only blew a .02, which is fucking nothing. Well, yeah, I, I, I was reading about that, too. Apparently, like, the cops just, like, trolled him. Like, the, the, like the park, because it was on federal land. Yeah, and uh, and like you know, so it's a federal cop, 
uh, for the park was just sitting there. He watched Springsteen pull over, do like take photos and do one shot of tequila with with like some people, and then he took off on his motorcycle. And then it was it was immediately just like he went two feet and the lights went on and they pulled well, him over. That's you know whatever they they pulled him over. You shouldn't be drinking and driving. It's whatever. Uh, I mean, it is Bruce Springsteen. Leave the fucking man alone. But they pulled his goddamn commercial. They pulled his fucking commercial. For That's this. ridiculous. Give the man back his fucking Jeep commercial. That's unacceptable. It's fucking Bruce Springsteen. It, it's, it's absurd. We need that commercial right now. It's, we need to heal. It's absurd, but yes. <laughs> the people who pulled the commercial, those aren't the people out there who, uh, you know, the internet are branding the social justice warriors or whatever. Those are the advertisers. They just saw like, oh, okay, well... There might be a negative 3% reaction to this commercial as a result of the most recent action. So let's pull this commercial because we think it would be more profitable in the long run if we do that. It's like completely fucking math-based and dumb. Well, I mean, the other thing that's bullshit is this happened back in November. And this commercial just aired, oh, I mean, as of this airing, it aired a couple of weeks ago. They're in the Super Bowl. It's like, really? And uh, I don't know. It's just, it seems like a big sack of bullshit. And I, I guess it was like... The first commercial he's ever been in, and it was like a big deal and shit. Yeah, I, I really think it's just like a numbers-based thing by a bunch of fucking geeks in a think tank. I, I don't think there's any like social awareness sort of thing to it at, at all. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's based on anyone having a negative reaction to it. I think it's based more on the idea that people could have a negative reaction to it. No, uh, I guess the mothers against drunk driving are flipping out about yeah, it. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at them with cross eyes, they'll flip the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, we, I don't know. I feel like we have bigger fish to fry at this point. Plus, with Born in the USA, Springsteen <laughs> helped popularize American heartland rock in the mainstream, which allowed for greater success for recording artists such as John Mellencamp, <laughs> Tom Petty, and Bob Seger. After Mellencamp released his 1985 Scarecrow, critics mentioned him alongside Springsteen and also referred to his music as heartland rock, uh, whatever. Uh the title track has become one of the most misunderstood songs in popular music. <laughs> yes, uh, it has. Red Coat and Park Malloy, the chorus of the song gave the feel a sort of positive patriotic, uh, patriotic anthem, but the lyrics depicted the difficulties and marginalization of working class Vietnam veterans uh, and what they had to face returning home after the war uh, and was written kind of during the 1980s recession in the United States uh, and, you know, just in that uh, first half of the Reagan administration, uh, all sorts of fun shit. But, hey, let's talk about the tunes because uh, that's where we're at now. It's not 1984 anymore. It's 2021 and things are uh, better. Can uh, I, no, they're not. Fuck. <laughs> can I, can I tell a Born in the USA story really quick? Absolutely. Sure. To, that speaks to the point that of... Uh, it's completely misunderstood. So, uh, obviously, September 11th is not a subject that's, like, rife for humor. But the Friday after September 11th in uh, my hometown, uh, see the pun there, of Saugus, Massachusetts, everyone gathered in Saugus Center at the Rotary. And there are just, like, a bunch of people who are, like, probably in the age range of, like, 17 to 25, all hanging out and, like, kind of having, like, a vigil sort of thing. And there was this uh, there was this kid that we never knew his real name. We always called him Chris Jongo because <laughs> Jongo. Yeah, because some dude I knew who had a weird voice 
um, said his name at one point because I was like, who is that kid that looks like he doesn't have enough skin to cover his face? And he's like, oh, that's Chris Jongo. <laughs> and like, I don't know what his actual name was. So we, we just called him Chris Jongo from there out. So this dude, Chris Jongo, <laughs> is driving around. I know. Let's give it to Jongo. He's driving around Saga Center's rotary just over and over and over with Born in the USA on a loop. And I'm like, dude, I understand that your intent is good, but you are not doing the right thing right now. <laughs> Give the man. I, I, li- I literally had a high school class that was about uh, that that included "Born in the USA" on like the on a Vietnam topic, which probably which would have been around the same point in time. It might have actually been slightly before that, but. Uh, yeah, for I feel like for any of anybody who was born like before 1990, like that, like just that song is was it's just like everybody was beaten over the head with it. And nobody actually knew yeah. what the, nobody paid attention to what the lyrics actually were. Yeah, that that weird little uh, little little gathering in the center was great too because I worked at the time for a uh, local quote unquote newspaper, and I called my boss who lived like a three minute walk away. And I called her to tell her, like, hey, like, this is happening down here. Like, maybe you should get some pictures and, like, we should write it up about it. And she was obviously, like, hammered at 8 p.m. And she's just like, oh, that sounds wonderful, honey. And I was like, well, you know, if you come down here with your camera, we can get some pictures and, you know, we can, we, I can write something about it and whatever. And she's like, that just sounds great. I'll talk to you on Monday. <laughs> and she hung up on me. <laughs> She was probably getting plowed. Uh, she was not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she was getting plowed by uh, one of those mechanical dildos. No, I'll tell you know. what she was getting plowed Ooh. by, and that was Bombay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And that little boy grew up to open the biggest uh, space business ever. And that's the story Elon of Musk. Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> and his mom. They did it together. Uh, Stacy Musk. So let's go around the room. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, Space uh, space Co. Stace uh, Musk. Let's go around the room and, and uh, talk about each and every one of our favorite songs off of Born in the USA. The, the offering, the seventh offering from Bruce Springsteen. Let's start with our guest, John Sasser. Ooh. Uh, favorite track on this one, it's... Um, for me, it's got to be... Uh, this is more of a nostalgia thing than anything. Uh, it's like uh, uh, Glory Days. Because they play the crap out of that song going to uh, at the uh, at the double A ballpark yeah. in Trenton, so it's it's one of those things where like, between between New Jersey and uh, you know and Springsteen in general, like I've like literally every single ball game I went to my parents like forever uh, with that song is that's it's just part of the day. 
probably more than once. Have have we disclosed that John is from New Jersey? I don't think. Yeah, I just want to make sure that that's clear going into this. Um, there is a New Jerseyan uh, in our midst, so just bear in mind when uh, when he waxes poetic about the Garden State. We know <laughs> a lot of true. people from New Jersey, huh? Yeah, yeah, fair amount. Well, interest related to this record in particular, uh, and just uh, Springsteen in general, the uh, his uh, Hammond player uh, Danny Federici went uh, went to my high school. Actually, probably at the same time as my dad, so my <laughs> dad probably know like knew him from high school. That's weird, <laughs> crazy. Oh yeah, it's from Florida. Yeah, so yeah, I didn't realize that there were uh, <clears throat> uh, this time around. I, I I'm realizing that there were two keyboard players. Yeah, we had Hammond organ player, hmm. and then uh, Roy Baton doing everything else. Uh, yeah, that's a hell of a band to have two keyboard players. You got to have someone who handles piano synth, and then someone who handles Hammond organ, uh, and also oh, synth. Glockenspiel too. Yeah, they were they were both doing yeah. synth, right? Because uh, at one point I looked up because I'm like, there is way too much synth happening for them to reasonably play this live with one dude. Yeah, and yeah, there, there's like, yeah, the, there's way too much. Uh, kind of separation of what's going on with the keyboards for that to be only played by one dude live like they, they needed to have a couple people on hand which sure why not did i tell you guys the story about uh you guys know the game heads up right where you put the fucking phone on your head and everybody has to give you clues and you try to guess the thing that's it's been a long time but yeah holy mackerel you know what i'm talking about yeah. yes so uh i was playing that with uh Tom, former guest of the show, and Eric Marks, former guest of the show. And um, so Glory Days came up as the word on on the phone. And uh, Eric Marks had the thing on the phone. And Tom and I were trying to get him to guess Glory Days, and he was just not getting it. And then finally Tom went, you stick your dick in a... And Eric went, Glory Days! <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to believe, knowing Eric... Uh, and, and really finding Eric to be one of the funniest people uh, around that he believes that a glory hole is called a glory day. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. Re- well, those are the, the days that they're uh, technically legal to uh, operate. Yeah, it's like the wrap and go woman at Dunkin Donuts. I just want my wrap and go. It's taken five minutes. <laughs> Lady, a wrap and go is not a product. Glory day. <laughs> Uh, sorry. Uh, Jim, what was your favorite track? My favorite track is gonna be Bobby Jean. That is just a delightful jam. It, it's so uplifting and bright and bubbly, and uh, I don't know. It's just it's so nice that happy those happy fucking piano stabs just get me every time. Yeah, I I love that track too. Uh, yeah, and it's it's one that always even from the very first time I heard this record, it's like just kind of fills you with nostalgia and like. In, in a lot of different ways, it, it's you know production-wise, obviously has a lot of roots in, in, in the '80s, but also with the sort of Glockenspiel 
and the chord progression. It also has a bit of that like Phil Spector era '60s aspect of it too. So, yeah, there's just kind of like multiple time periods happening at once. Uh, oh, is that a glockenspiel? Did I say piano, or am I an idiot? Oh, no, there's piano, too. It's all there's, layered. Yeah, okay. there's um, both in there. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, Federici's doing glock, and, and Baton's doing piano. It's all... It's. <clears throat> it, it, it was a 12-hour session. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that, that's true. It's funny. That song made me think immediately of uh, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home, the opening song that's in Gremlins. Because it just had that sort of right amount of 50s sort of like, um, I, I mean, I don't want to praise this fellow necessarily, but it had like the right amount of like kind of like Phil Spector-y-ness to it with the Glock and, and that chord progression. And it, it just felt like something that could have come out of like, you know, the, the early 60s pop scene. Yeah, the Spector uh, influence is definitely pretty palpable on that track, uh, which, you know, ignoring him and his like other extracurricular activities uh oh you mean, that, that do you mean murder the, the the sonics of that song are, are a big part of what makes it uh pretty pretty enjoyable for me too yeah and uh gary talent really laid it down on that track too on bass yeah good baseline great baseline on that one i love it yeah uh christopher what was your favorite track my favorite track is i'm on fire the like kind of weirdo shit that I listen to when I'm like listening to like Kraftwerk or Radiohead or something like more off the deep end like Shushu or something like that deep down I still have a really well constructed pop song and I'm on fire is a really fucking well constructed pop song and it's so well written that it makes me overlook the gross lyrics to it and like I, I would cover the song without thinking about it because this is a fucking great, great song. And yeah, I mean the, the lyrics are weird and the video is fucking disgusting. But uh, yeah, I, I fucking love the song. It's probably my favorite Springsteen song, and uh, it's certainly my favorite song on this album by uh, by a, a wide margin. And that's saying something because I I like most of this album. Little known fact: the original lyrics were actually "I'm horny as shit." <laughs> Jim, have you ever seen the video for it? Oh, oh, oh horny as shit. <laughs> have you ever seen the... All right, we, 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 we got to adjust those lyrics, man. Uh, Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Plotkin was like, yeah, we, we got to adjust those a bit. We're talking about, man, this, uh, this is what I'm feeling right now. Jim, have you seen the video for it? Where he's no. like, it's kind of like almost film noir and he's like lying in bed wearing a tank top with his hands behind his head, and he's like just sweating. And like you see, like a, you see him like from behind a fan and shit, and it's 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 not subtle. <laughs> well, because then he wrote the song the next day when he got the clap. <laughs> well, I mean, Jesus Christ, they fucking they don't take his Jeep commercial away from that, but they take it away when he has a goddamn tequila shot, enjoying his fucking life in his seventies. A guy's gonna die in like fucking a decade. He'd fucking take his Jeep commercial away. You fucking savage. No, Springsteen won't die in a decade. I, I think he's got at least two more in him. 
The, oh man, yeah, with, he lives to be ninety. Yeah, no, That'd be great. Oh, easily, no, because the the way that he has performed his whole life and the way that he treats live performance, like he keeps himself the fucking shape so he can keep doing those three and a half hour shows. Now he still looks That's really true. good for for his age. Now he, he, he is, looks he's seventy one. He's in shape. He, he's seventy. He is start. He is still. He is starting to kind of get that like Clint Eastwood like gritty teeth kind of look to him. Like get off my lawn kind of look. But uh, yeah, no, he does. <laughs> he look is good. slowly becoming British. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I'm on fire is a great is a great track, and it's like it's pretty simple and short. Uh, that that's something that I only very I I've known this song for you know probably my whole life and it's something that only very recently i noticed it's like it's under three minutes long and it really only kind of does a couple of things it's pretty minimalist uh and in that way it's sort of brilliant uh it's it's kind of has that that sort of uh ephemeral in and out quality of it uh ooh, yeah in and out you know get it (laughs) yeah Uh, i mean that that, that's what I'm saying with this track. It it does a lot with very little, and to be able to do that and to do it in a way that is so compelling and makes you want to listen to it again is is very fucking impressive. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat that. It's it, it's a really impressive feat. Yeah, and I think for for uh, for a dude who's who's kind of known as a singer songwriter, for him to uh, do something that that's kind of unique like that is, is pretty impressive and cool uh, within his repertoire uh, to, to pull off something that, that, that really I haven't really heard anything else quite like this song. Uh, yeah, like that that, that, that like really in, uh, like captures uh, all of what like makes it unique. I guess my favorite track, uh, man, I, I I've got a few on this record, but I'm gonna go with "Cover Me." I just I, I think that is just such a strongly written song. I if I recall, uh this one was originally written for Donna Summer, uh, but then he decided to just uh do it himself for this record and yeah, it just has like a great swagger to it. It it's a great track two after coming after Born in the USA, which is just, you know, the big fucking hokey single. Uh you know, it, it's yeah, it just has a great hook and, and great swagger to it. Great performance. Uh, good Steven Van Zant guitar rippage. Uh, I, I think like it's like the most strongly written uh, song out of every. It's the one that sort of could be interpreted by like a, a wider array of artists versus some of the other songs, which are a little more, uh, I guess, uh uniquely Springsteen or, or a little more uh, like could could really only like Springsteen can only really pull something like that off. Cover Me sounds like it could be uh, covered if, if you will by, by like you know anyone and, and they could kind of do their own thing with it and I, and, and I kind of appre- but it also has has that Springsteen stomp to it uh, 
that that I really you know that I really like. So yeah, it's just like one of his stronger tracks, I think. So to put it into Jarvis context, that's kind of the "Don't Let Him Waste Your Time" that Nancy Sinatra successfully covered, as opposed to the other songs that he writes, like "Baby Come Back to Me," which probably sucked when other people covered them. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> okay, uh, John, what was your least favorite track? Oh, uh, least favorite. It's tough to come up with the least favorite. I mean, this, the whole record is just fairly consistent. Like, so it's, and it's the kind of thing where like Springsteen's not real, uh, not really my jam necessarily. So a lot of the like the singles that weren't played to death like kind of tends to wash over me because it's a lot of similar kind of material. Like it's not bad. It's just it doesn't. Think actually, oh yeah, aha, I, I gotta cheat. Uh, my, <laughs> my 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 low moment is that gated snare because gated snare gated reverb snare is like nails on a chalkboard to me. That's my is worst there a song moment. in particular where that sticks out to you? <laughs> oh god, it's everywhere. I mean, born in the USA, I guess, in that aspect of it. It's just that sound is just oh god, it makes that's that's how we went in the chat before that. I was just saying, I'd be fascinated to, to know what this record would be like if you mixed it like it was dry drums, like it was the 70s or something like that. Because it's like it's there's a part of my brain that is permanently like fixed in 1993 that thinks that drum sound is crap, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's just I it, for some and I just hear those and then uh, and I hear people do it like try, going for that sound now and it's just it's so confusing to me because that that was just so beat to death with this record in particular, like at, like well popularizing it for, for among a hundred million other things, it's just. Oh, I, I can't deal I, with Excuse it. me, but um, <laughs> Phil Collins and Hugh Padham are outside, and they'd like to have a word with you. <laughs> well, I, I, I think at, at this point, by 1984, this is... I, I, I'm kind of with you. This, for, for me, like, everything started to, across the board, sound like the 80s by 1984. Like, at least in, like, the first few years of the 80s, you kind of had some people doing some analog, like, you know, some, some like, you know, 70s-style production things. Like, they kind of seeped into the 80s a little bit. But by, by ni- 1984, everyone was on board with uh, gated reverb and digital reverb and, and all that fun stuff. Uh, and, yeah, Port in the USA, it's, like, really hard to ignore right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 the kind of thing where like if if you're not down with 80s production it then that, and that's the, that and that's the thing that gets me with like a lot of this stuff like like i sure. i was just thinking like i i don't know how much i've listened to this record top to bottom before like i know half of these songs because they're inescapable for anybody in our age bracket or older right. but um uh it's just i it, that sound just kills me every time i would say that the e street band is one of the few circumstances where it could theoretically work so, like, Born in the USA, I don't think is a good example, because in terms of um, arrangement, 
it's a little bit lighter than the rest of the album. But if you take like Cover Me or um, Working on the Highway or something like that, where it's more of a full band effort, you um, like you could actually build up a lot more sonic space by using a gated reverb. Like you wouldn't be as noticing it as much in the mix if like there's this eight piece band playing, everyone just playing their hearts out, that sort of thing. Like it might actually be a, kind of a useful production thing. But yeah, having it like front and center for um, Born in the USA is uh, it's it's a little bit much. And I say that as someone who doesn't yeah, mind gated snare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it. It's and it's just one of those things where it's 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 interesting because it's just like especially with a lot of the the other aspects of this record that are so like like nostalgic and throwback ish things of that that like the, that drum sound is just so that period that it's just inescapable. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, who's next? I like Jim it. or Christopher? <laughs> it is that'd be uh, it's me, Jim. What's your least favorite? I'm going to go with uh, Working on the Highway. Um, I just think this one is the most, like, kind of straightforward and, like, I know this is, like, an Americana kind of album, but this is, like, very Americana. Uh, it's the, I, I wrote down, it's the, it's the living on a prayer of this album. <laughs> that's, uh, that's harsh, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I like the song. I like living on a prayer, too, honestly. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, but it, I don't know, it just felt like the most kind of boring to me, I guess. Well, Living on a Prayer is good by default because it uses the same bass line as Come Down by Bush. <laughs> yeah. Which came first. I, I they they ever... wrote that song first. Uh, yeah. Well, no, there was time travel involved. Bon Jovi actually ripped off Bush. It's a sad story because it can't be proven in a court of law. So, sad, sad yeah. emotes only. No, but Gavin Rossdale was... Uh... Wow, holy shit. He was like 20 when that song came out. So, like, he, like... It's it's like reasonably believable that he could have written uh, <laughs> that he could have written "Living on a Prayer." <laughs> when, when did "Living on a Prayer" came out? Yeah, he, he was older when they broke. Yeah, he, he was twenty-one when that song came out. Like, how old is fucking John Bon Jovi? Are they the same age? Get the fuck out of here! It's they're probably not too far off. Wow. I know uh, they're they're actually like only three years apart. Yeah, so, I, okay. I think wow. Rossdale was in his early to mid thirties when Bush hit. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Good for really? Him. Yeah. So we still have a chance. Yep. Yeah. Just look at us. Just well, no, it's too late for us. Four Adonises in the I'm prime still, of our lives. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still in my early thirties, so I still have a chance. You still have a chance. It's too late for Christopher and I. No, no, no. We're if we form a boy band, we can be the Big Brothers. Wow. <laughs> Living on a Prayer was uh, released on Halloween in 1986, uh. right after my birthday. Wow. Yeah, so I would... 15 days after my I would birthday. be heading to my... Uh, I was 15 days old when Living in a Prayer. I'd be headed to my fourth half birthday at that point. It's my second Halloween. I bet it was just like Winnie the Pooh or something. 
Yeah, maybe you were wearing one of those uh, Ben Cooper costumes where it's like the plastic mask in the jumpsuit, the vinyl jumpsuit that says what you are because the plastic mask looks so horrible that it's hard to tell. Oh, yeah, there were a lot of those, <laughs> a lot of those in uh, kindergarten. Uh, Halloween. I, I love those Ben Wait Cooper a minute. costumes. I'm reading, I'm reading the lyrics here for Living I, on a Jim, Prayer what now. The fuck? <laughs> and I, I could have sworn that the first line in that song is Tommy used to work on the docks. But this is saying once upon a time not so long ago is the first line in the song. Okay. It is not. What the fuck? Okay, cool. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and veto this line of conversation and suggest that we move the fuck on with this show. <laughs> you can't suppress me, Christopher. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm holding you back from your freedom of speech. <laughs> What's wrong with what he's saying? What's wrong with what he's saying is that we have been recording for like 42 minutes and we are not even through least favorite song. <laughs> I see that now. Once upon a time, not so long ago. <laughs> Holy shit. You're right. But then it's Tommy used to work on the docks. Yeah, okay. You had to be worried there for a moment. Christopher, what's your least favorite? My least track? favorite is exactly that. It is my least favorite. It is not a song that I dislike in any way, but it is the song I've heard the most, um, and that might have something to do with this. It is Glory Days. Uh, one John Sasser's favorite song. And I think the only <laughs> negative thing that I can really say about this, besides hearing it too much, is uh, I don't really like... Is it Patty Boyd? Not Patty Boyd. Patty Boyd is Harrison's wife. Um, who is uh, Springsteen's wife? Patty... I can't think of her last name. And Selma. Pa Patty Hurst? No. Is <laughs> Patty Scalfia. Uh, Scalfa. Scalfa. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do not like her voice at all. And she's like very pitchy and she's very prominent in this song. And that's that's really my only gripe with it. It's not a huge gripe whatsoever because it works in context and it, it's a totally fine song. But it's the one that, you know, I used to hear all the time working at Santoro's Sub Villa on Route 1. And uh, yeah, I just I, I've heard this song enough in my life. I don't need to hear it again. Like it's not that good where I need to keep hearing it. Whereas other songs of this album, I can hear a million times and be totally fine with it. So for me... For me, this record is kind of like a mixed bag of uh, some really fun, deep tracks, and then also these just these monolithic Americana singles that are just at this point have become come larger than life to the point where even if they are overplayed, it's almost like they're just like so massive at this point. Uh, so I'm gonna go with a track that I just think doesn't really do much of anything for me and that's no surrender uh, it's it's a deep cut on the album and i think it's just uh 
it's just yeah I, for whatever reason it doesn't it doesn't have any sort of spark to it it's not like one of the hit singles and it doesn't really have any sort of like edge to it and any sort of like deep cut edge to it uh it was apparently uh returned to prominence during the 2004 uh united <laughs> states campaign for john Kerry. So, i was gonna uh, say that the uh that that says a lot he, 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 he is someone who uh, did find yeah, a spark not, in it uh, it's yeah i i think that there's uh there there's a lot of really big strong tracks on this record and uh that one just it, it, it kicks off side two on on a bit of a weak note for me it's usually it's the one that uh i tend to skip whereas like everything else i, I can kind of listen to all the way through although glory days is for me kind of a close second i i am getting kind of sick of that one it's interesting because this listen through i actually dug no surrender more than i usually do but i do have to ask the question what did they learn in those three minutes of listening to that record. <laughs> three minutes? Yeah, the line is like, we learned more from three minutes of that record than we ever did in school. Oh, that sounds like a reference to songs. They played a, for- they played a 45 <laughs> at 33. Or a 33 at 45. Uh, so they actually learned about, I don't know, 4.5 minutes worth of material. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a number. That's math. Speaking of math, you want to know what's insane? I was just looking up the uh, E Street Band's reunion tour in uh, 99-2000. They played in East Rutherford, New Jersey from July 15th until August 12th of 1999. Uh, not regularly, because I'm assuming there were sports happening and whatnot in that time, but they pro- played over 10 shows. They made $19 million from those shows alone. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, what the fuck? Wow. That's 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 cool. I mean, yeah, all all the power to him. Man, I Yeah, I um uh I kind of regret uh so my friend Craig's a pretty big uh Springsteen fan and uh him and his brother usually go to see Springsteen when he comes through. And uh he asked me if I wanted to go last time and I declined and now that I've become acquainted with Mr. Springsteen through Parrix uh Parrix, Patrick's endeavor into uh, becoming a uh, you know a Springsteen fan, I'm, I kind of regret not going. Next time he comes to town, uh, post COVID, let's all go. I would totally 100% go to that show and have a fucking great time. Definitely, especially if he's doing tequila shots. Yeah, yeah, I'll get I'll get right in the car with him. Sure, that sounds like a, a good way to end the evening. Yeah, <laughs> get pulled over with Bruce Springsteen and, and him trying to talk his way out of getting a ticket. And it turns out they're they're a fucking Melon Camp fan. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, let's. <laughs> what are we doing? MVP moment. Yeah, let, let's uh, let's let's move on here. Uh, John, what, what's your MVP moment on this record? My MVP moment is gonna be. I'm gonna say, actually probably I'm gonna go with I'm, I'm on fire on that too. It's just like the way that. Like this, the way just the the general vibe, like other than the creepy lyrics part, like the way that every other part, like the way that that song comes together, just kind of like really, it, it's a well written song.
It's also my wife's favorite, so I, I got to go with that. Fair enough. Fair enough. You company man, Jim. What's your MVP moment? I got to go with the uh, the sax solo in uh, Bobby Jean. Epic as balls. Is that big man? Is that what they called him? Clarence? Oh, Clarence Clemens, yeah. The the large <laughs> one. Is that what they call him? I, I uh, thought they called him Big Man. The big man. I thought they called him Big Chungus. Big Man. <laughs> they do. <laughs> please, please. Call, big stinko. Call me Clarence. Mr. Bigman is my father. Large Bigman, yeah, uh, <laughs> up until his death, uh, which now he he's called the Dead Man. Uh, that's too bad. So another one of my teachers uh, played a show with his uh, solo project, Clarence Clemens, and this is like probably like late eighties or something. And this teacher had a band that had a horn section, and I I don't know how they scored this gig opening for Clarence Clemens because the, Clarence apparently had a hard rule: there were no horn players allowed in any other act on his stage. And my teacher's like, oh. "Dude, we have a full horn section. Like that's like half our band. We can't like go without them." So they went through this big back and forth negotiation thing, and eventually they were allowed to have their horn section play the show with them. But uh, according to this teacher, it was because Clarence played really fucking out of tune and was not as good as you might expect. <laughs> I can believe that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there's been a few moments on, even on record, where it's like, he, he, I, I can tell he's not quite locking uh, no, to the click. No, bear- but hey, he puts all his heart into it. That's what matters. Yeah, dude. well... That's the, and- that's the band of, of uh, very hearty <laughs> uh, East Streetmen. Also, one thing I got to mention, too, is... Um, Patrick, you went to AI, so you're familiar with the um, the the D line bridge that's right next to the school. Oh yeah, oh All yeah. Right, so used to take it there every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my friend Fabrizio saw this teacher once emerge from there, um, like fiddling with his nose. So <laughs> take that with a complete grain of salt, because that is the kind fiddling of fiddling with his nose. Yes. <laughs> hmm, okay. I mean, emerging from the bridge in any circum under the bridge in any circumstance is odd, but doing so while like. Like itching and playing with your nose is extremely odd. <laughs> I mean, who knows what he was sniffing down there? Yeah, no, anything is possible. <laughs> when uh, when you have like a fifty plus troll truffles. Yeah, when you have a fifty plus year old man like in a suit, like walking under a bridge <laughs> near the place of employment to like yeah. do something and then come out with an itchy nose. He was looking for Brookline truffles <laughs> under the bridge. He's the Brookline Village uh, pig, I guess. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they for the feast each year they, they need him <laughs> to sniff out the the Brookline truffles from from under the bridge. Uh, All right, your nostrils are the most destroyed from years of cocaine use. You go under the bridge and sniff. Well, he just has like one <laughs> giant nostril because his septum has completely uh, disintegrated. <laughs> Christopher, did you give your MVP moment yet? I did not. Uh, mine right, is super simple, super straightforward. It's the synth riff in Born in the USA. 
because it's so mind-numbingly simple, and I don't get bored of it for four minutes and forty seconds or however long the song is. Like it's it's so simple, they can build an entire song off of it, and it's done so successfully. It's it's so fucking cool. It's it's one of those things that now uh, since. I, I don't think we've discussed this at length on this particular episode, but I think we've talked about it on previous ones where uh, I turned 35 last... No, oh, Jesus. 2019. <laughs> Holy shit. So nearly <laughs> two years ago. And, and I made some crack about, oh, uh, now that I'm turning 35, I got to start listening to Bruce Springsteen. Uh, but then it turned out like I... I cracked open his discography and was like oh man i really like a lot of this shit uh and kind of like kind of fell in love with uh like his stretch of records there uh and yeah so like going back to i think born in the usa was the first one that i that i decided to crack open was like uh yeah there's there's I don't know. There, there there's something wholesome about this and then each time i i go back i i just that that synth line in Born in the USA just kind of makes me smile now. <laughs> it's 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 so it's so big and corny, but I, but like the message behind the song is, is so much deeper than that that I can kind of listen back and and just I don't know, just relish in the whole uh, and relish it at all in, in the Springsteenness yeah. of it, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so. Uh, Similar to Jim, I'm going with another Clarence Clemens solo for my MVP moment. Uh, I, I fucking love that one at the end of Bobby Jean. My God, it, it gives me chills every time. Uh, but I'm actually going to go with uh, the one at the end of Dancing in the Dark. Which, Ooh. God, I that's fucking love one. that song. Yeah, it's- anyway, it's another another great single, uh, just well written song. Uh, incredible lyrics that like I didn't realize that that they were so good until like I kind of uh, started getting into them more recently. Yeah. And yeah, there, there's this very subtle solo that kind of happens at the end of Dancing in the Dark. That's like, why did they even bother doing this it's like the song is fading out now it's literally in like the last 12 bars or so and it's <laughs> not even really that prominent in the mix but it's uh it, it has an effect it's like we're uh listening to this record we're, we're at a concert and like maybe clarence couldn't be there all night and like oh okay he's gonna hop on and just give us his best for for this little bit at the end there and it just adds this nice little different frequency uh on top of of kind of the the minimalist uh again kind of like i'm on fire there's not a heck of a lot going on it's just like bruce and uh drums bass and and some uh synthesizer uh and then yeah we, we bring in that sax solo at the end it's all right cool we we got ourselves a song yeah <laughs> i don't know I, I i appreciate the utilitarianness of that i guess you know what my favorite rendition of that song is is the one by Alan Thicke and Kirk Cameron 
on an episode of Growing Pains. I don't know if you've seen this episode, but there was an episode. <laughs> I'm looking up cover versions. Hold on. <laughs> it, it's, it's not a legit cover version. It, it's uh, part of an episode of Growing Pains is that Kirk and uh, Alan, or I guess uh, Mike and Dad, <laughs> whatever his name was on Growing Pains, uh, were both Springsteen fans. So Sick. they went to the concert together. And at the end, you just see them like in a stairwell and they just started singing the chorus of um, <laughs> Dancing in the Dark. And seeing Kirk Cameron and Alan Thicke sing that song together is fucking wild. Yeah, it was funny. I was going to point out the fact that we've gotten this long into this episode and no one had mentioned Dancing in the Dark yet because that song was so freaking and it, huge. It's a fucking great song. Like, that's probably. It really is. Maybe second place for yeah. me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great song. That was. Yeah, that was actually in my notes. One of the one of the other like highlights of the 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 synth bass in that song has like some really cool that thing that stood out to me as one of the more interesting uh, kind of tones on yeah. that record. Yeah. So again, when uh, rediscovering this album, that's one that I remember listening to. Uh, I really had only heard it on the radio. I'd never listened to it like on a proper CD or vinyl format or anything like that. And like listening to it on a proper. Uh, CD format, I was like, oh yeah, there's, this is actually like relatively tastefully produced song for 1984. Like, you can kind of hear everything. It's, you know, it's still echoey, gated snare, but, it, but it's like well-contained, and yeah, the the synth bass, it, it occupies a space, and, and it's a good one. John, what, what's a comparable album to Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA, do you think? I've got a comparable album. And this one, this one is "An Innocent Man" by Billy Joel, uh, because it's very, uh, it's it's the same kind of nostalgic, like '50s, early '60s kind of throwback vibes from that same general period of time, which was baby boomers hitting their mid '30s and thinking about being kids again. Oh right, yeah, this is the one with the uh, teller about it, uptown girl, longest the longest time, time yeah. 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 Oh god, yeah! I just looked at the Wikipedia for that quick, and it's apparently all homages. That's insane. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a concept album. Yeah. Wow. Technically. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a bigger fan of uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Nylon Curtain, the one that comes before it, the one with the uh, pressure. I, and Alan. Oh yeah, those are both good. Uh, I like the Stranger mm. too. Oh, that's a mm. great record. Yeah, we should do The Stranger. Uh, we should do that at some point. I have it on vinyl. Too. I do, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so do oh, I. Oh, shit. Let's just play it all at once. Well, I mean, as a resident of New Jersey, they basically give you one, right? When you turn 18. <laughs> hey, he's from Long Island, man. That's not quite my people. I suppose. He's not going to drive into my <laughs> living room. <laughs> no, but he does know Mr. Mr. Cacciatore is down on Sullivan Street. I liked when his uh, his daughter was playing Great Scott at one point in like... 05 or 06 and their promotion oh, really? yeah and their promotions are like is Billy Joel going to drive through the front door F- come find out <laughs> oh man yeah just going to <laughs> use that to sell tickets <laughs> oh boy oh boy uh, Jim what's your comparable record I think I actually used this one recently but I'm going to use it again because um the Springsteen, and I mean, we kind of mentioned this in the in the top of the episode, but um, Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever. I just mm. feel like it's got that, yeah, it's got that Heartland Rock vibe, you know. 
Yeah, for sure. I think Heartland Rock um, is such a misnomer because it, it, like, it, it invokes feelings of like Iowa or something like that, where it's just like small right. town USA. <laughs> like it, it's Kansas. yeah, it, it's not flyover states. It's small town USA. It should be small town USA rock. Well, it's funny that you say that because the Jeep commercial that uh, Springsteen was in was about the middle of the country. Like he was driving his Jeep around like the literal like center point of the country. I think I believe it's somewhere in Kansas. And he's like, you know, this is the center. We all need to come together and unite and blah, blah. And I'm like, the hell are you talking about? You're from fucking New Jersey. <laughs> right? Yeah. You live around the ocean. You're a coastal boy. But I think it's because he's like an outspoken, like, um, like neo concert uh neoliberal like democrat where he's just like guys it's time to mend bridges i think he's trying to be like like gently political i think that's what's going on there yeah Yeah, it like yeah i mean like who cares if he's driving drunk right now we we need to come together and heal as a nation guys (laughs) it all it all comes down to the spring hey i agree Wait, did they actually test the type of alcohol that he drank? Or did he just say, I had some No, no supposedly, like John said, they, you know, he stopped and was hanging out with a couple of fans and he took a shot at tequila and then the cop immediately pulled him over. Wow. Oh, wow. Apparently, Christopher. Apparently, Springsteen oh, was also a tax evader early in his career. <laughs> yeah, he admitted All that right. in June 2017. That's fun. Uh, anyway, my comparable album is going to be something that is significantly different from this album, but also very similar to this album. Uh, I'm going to go with Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me by The Cure. And my <laughs> thinking behind that is it is a very 80s record with very 80s sounds on it, creating very pop songs um, for the masses. So that was one of The Cure's biggest albums. It had like Just Like Heaven and like a bunch of other songs on it that were all like pop smash hits, like Kiss 108 still play them occasionally and whatnot. And the other thing, a lot of saxophone on that record. So there is a little bit of sax, isn't there? Oh, there's a hell of a lot of sax on that album, yeah. So yeah, like that was the weird thing that was like kind of popping up to me when I was thinking about comparable album. I'm like, holy shit, this uh, this has more to do with the Cure than I would have thought. <laughs> but <laughs> there was uh, a head on the door when we did that record. I think my favorite track on that record had a sax solo on it. That song was like a night like vaguely Springsteen-y to me. Is that a night like this? I guess yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that one like kind of had this like vaguely Springsteen-y vibe to it. Yeah, their lead <laughs> guitarist at that point also played uh, sax. So on "Kiss Me" because that was a double album, he ended up playing a lot more on that one. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. My comparable record is going to be uh, Dire Straits' "Brother in Arms," uh, their record from 1985, and it's. So, uh, Dire Straits had kind of like a decent stretch of records in the late seventies and, and then like put out a couple records that, uh, weren't as commercially successful, but like critically did, uh, seem to do some things and that, and then brother in arms was like a 
bigger commercial success for them. That's the one with fucking money for nothing and mm-hmm. uh, so far, so far away, walk of life, etc. Uh, and, and it's very, very '80s sounding. Uh, not that the other two didn't have some '80s production on it, like previous, but this one, I just uh, there was definitely more of an attempt to bring in like fucking Synclaviers and, and DX ones and, and some other shit. Uh, so th- there, there is more of a concerted attempt to bring this into the '80s, I guess. Uh, uh, and yeah, just like very similar production tones, reverbs, uh, keyboard sounds, things like that. Uh, and, and obviously mixing with that sort of Heartland uh, folk guitar sound too. Cool. Uh, let's rate this record. Hell yeah, Sasser. What do you what do you uh, what do you rate this record? Um, uh, I'd probably rate it. I'm gonna go with a seven uh, for me personally because it's 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 good. I recognize the fact that it's good. It doesn't really quite hit it for me, which is why I, I can't rate it any more than that. Despite the fact that you know it's undisputably like it's one of those things where like a lot so many of these songs are like basically part of like the american songbook at this point like it's these like they're everywhere and everybody knows them but it just it it doesn't quite do it for me personally so it's i'm gonna go to the seven word yeah yippee i'm gonna give it a smack dab in the middle eight I think this is an important record in uh, music history, and um, I like a lot of the songs on it. And, um, yeah, I think it's definitely like if you were to have a list of the whatever amount of albums you should listen to before you die, I think this should be one of them that's on it. Yeah, yeah. I I, I have like a a short list of records like that that I think everyone should own. Most of them kind of come out between like 1977 and 83. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I guess 84. Sure, I'll throw this on there too. Uh, Christopher. I'm going to agree with Jim in some fronts and disagree in others. Um, I think that this is an album everyone should hear and everyone should give a fair shake. They should sit down, listen to it without looking at their phones or whatever, just close their eyes and listen to it pretty loud and see... Let's- Listen to Maynard over here. Yeah. Put your phone away. <laughs> and this is coming from the Maynard fan in the room. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, no, I think that this album deserves a listen. Um, it's a short album. It's pretty brisk. What's it, like 40, 45 minutes? Like, yeah, just listen to this album. Give it a fair shake. Listen to it loud. And I think that this is an album that deserves everyone's attention. I don't think it's a perfect album, but I think it's really really fucking good and a really important album. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a middle-of-the-road nine. Cool. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to kind of echo a lot of the same sentiments as Christopher. Uh, I'm also going to give it a nine out of ten. And it's not a perfect record. Uh, there are a few tracks that I think just aren't going to speak to everybody but uh there is at least there's got to be at least like one song on this record that uh 
an American can enjoy. I, I don't know. I don't know how else <laughs> to put it. Like the, there's there's got to be something you you can take away either lyrically, musically, performance wise. I don't know uh, that that you can kind of take away from this record. Uh, and, and I agree that it's kind yeah it's like an an important cultural. Uh, yeah, it has a lot of significance culturally. Uh, I don't think it's Springsteen's best, uh, though. I I think there are other records like The River that kind of take what his ethos is and does it in a way that's not quite as commercial and, and has uh, a bit more depth to it. And I think there's moments on other records that uh, hit a little harder emotionally and even are like possibly better written uh, but overall consistently this is just like a great record front to back uh, there, there's no uh, there's no like real filler points it's, it's more like he just wanted to, to make a solid ass record and he did and it's uh, and it shows in a lot of ways and, and yeah I agree with Christopher everyone should you know take the time listen to it uh, it it has some great lyrics to it. I think uh, every songwriter should, at some point, you know, maybe before or after they turn thirty-five. Who knows? <laughs> Doesn't have to be when they turn thirty-five. But yeah, at some point they they should, you know, pop on Pet Sounds, pop on fucking Rumors. Uh, if you didn't grow up with that record growing up, uh, I don't know. Maybe even listen to Asia. I could probably convince you to do that too. But definitely. <laughs> uh, Born in the USA should should go on there as well. Uh, you know, uh, Harvest is another one I think of Neil Young. Uh, but yeah, I, I think like there there's enough significance that this guy has had uh, enough crossover appeal with both idiots and like well respected music critics that it's like okay, clearly he has there, there's something going on here. Uh, that, that he can speak to such a wide gamut of people to, you know, the, the sort of the, the simpleton to the, uh, you know, very, you know, ultra sensitive, thoughtful songwriter uh, that, that, yeah, they, I think that's really cool that he has that effect. Uh, so uh, nine <laughs> was my answer. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. It's almost like echo, like what Jim was saying before, like list for like for me, Listening to this record, I feel like I'm in a bar somewhere. Like that's it's so like so much, and the part like so much of this is like is just like like just canon, and like like it, it's and it's one of those things where it, it the record is it, it's just it's everywhere, and especially you know again for this you know it's, and, and uh, our our age bracket and things like that. Like it's just like as a kid, like these songs were. Just everywhere. It's part of the zeitgeist and stuff like that. And it's, it's uh, For sure. now. It's just, it's yeah. It's one of those things where it's, it, it's, it's just such an important record. The thing for me too is that it still seems like it's a fun bar. When you <laughs> hear these songs, you're like, oh man, it would be dope if I went into a bar and this song was playing and I was with all my buds. And we are gonna have a fucking dope night. Like this would be awesome. Oh man, remember doing things? Remember like life? yeah. I mean, we we don't need <laughs> for that. Oh, okay. that 
that just made me think of the complete opposite where uh where me and a buddy of mine we'd roll into the bar and we'd start playing like 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 all like random like oddball like like john lennon songs like we'd roll we'd roll into the bar and start having a few things and put on like working class hero Oh jeez! <laughs> it would just really suck the oh, fuck so- out of everybody. Like we'd be fucking loving it, and everybody else would be like, eh. "So I was, I was saying that it would be fun to do this with friends, and I, I, I stand by that." But you're gonna talk about that without acknowledging the fact that three people, at least in this room, uh, this virtual room, have been around when I put on fucking dogs on a St. Patrick's Day <laughs> celebration at a diner. <laughs> So uh, that gives us a cumulative score of 8.25, which I think is a good score. Um, I would say possibly a little on the low side, but uh, I'm not complaining about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, 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 I, I, I brought in a, uh, uh, what is it, a very... Uh, Diverse academy here, so, so we, we could get a fair rating. Well, Pat- I guess. Patrick, if it helps, like you and I, bud, we're on the same team right now. This is not a uh, Lundgren sort of situation. And by Lundgren, no, I mean Rundgren. It's a Dolph Lundgren record. <laughs> <laughs> you know, lizard a true fart. Uh, <laughs> Sasser, thanks for joining us once again. Hey. Always happy to be here. Yes, that, thanks for uh, for hopping on last minute and and, uh, and indulging us. Uh, I guess. Uh, what are you up to? I get. I guess like we're all the four <laughs> of us are up to some shit, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Making some music. Uh, the four of us got an RPM record uh, coming out March first. Hopefully, if, 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 assuming nothing uh, weird happens. Excuse me, sir. Rampikes. What is RPM? RPM uh, stands for Random Access Memory. Uh, mm-hmm. And no, uh, it, it's the record per month. Uh, we've been doing it for, for a few years now uh, in some capacity, whether it was easy to <laughs> Is that to actually noise. what it stands for? I had it's no not, idea. No. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. It's a record producing month. There we go. Our record producing month, sure. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to write and record this album all within the month of February 2021. Uh, we're, we're, I guess, about halfway through at this point. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. Later this month, the four of us are going to finally have uh, a musical endeavor of, of just four of us all together. Uh, so check that out. And it will and not... No longer be just a cover of Big Balls by ACDC. No, it won't be. <laughs> uh, sadly. We, we could just ride that wave forever and ever. But I guess we have to... Uh, we need to make some money. Part the kimono at some point. We gotta make some real money. Yeah, we're, we're, we're in it for the money. Uh, Chris, I like how that already at this point that freaking that song like feels like it was nine years ago. <laughs> that whole thing. Oh, like, rem- remember when we did that whole wildfires benefit? <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like, like only a year ago, but yeah, it feels like a lot fucking longer. Things have things have changed. Good God, it was, it was a big ass shift. 
Simpler times. Simpler times. Simpler times. Uh, well, so yeah, that that uh, Rampikes record is, is a big announcement. Uh, Christopher, anything else you want to announce? Or Jim, anything? Uh, I don't have anything specific to recommend. Just, uh, you know, check out Nickelbacken, another show on the network that I do with a couple old friends. That's it. Um, I just want to real quick, I know we're kind of running out of time here, but I want to do a quick uh, round of uh, net worth. And I know (laughs) we've, I'm pretty sure we've done uh, Springsteen's net worth before. So uh, I'd like to play what is their net worth, price is right rules, closest without going over, everybody, what is Richie LaBamba Rosenberg's net worth? Jesus. (laughs) Let's start with, let's start with you, John. You know him best. (laughs) Oh, God. In the year 2000. Uh, In the year 2000. Uh, I'm going to go with... I'm going to say he's worth $2 million. Christopher. One mil. Patrick. Hmm. 800,000. John hits the nail on the head. Two million dollars. Whoa! Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was low. Nice. I, I, it's it's one of those things where he's around and he he gets work, but he doesn't get that much work. So I'm happy he's doing that well. Quite yeah, frankly, that's, that's a that's lot. Good. Well, that like that's very good work. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty good. Better than me. That's for damn sure. Uh, all right. Yeah. Cool. So thanks for for. Checking into another episode of Old Men Yellow Clad. We really appreciate it. Uh, hey, you can find us online at zero science.com along with the other shows on the Zero Science Network, like Christopher was just talking about, like Nickelbacken, uh, who just recently returned to the fold uh, after a little hiatus. Uh, hey, if you want to reach out, our email is oldmenyellowcloud at gmail.com and our Instagram is at Old Men Yell at Cloud, and you can find us on Twitter at Yell at Cloud. If you take the time to leave us a rating or review, uh, tell a friend about us, it would mean a lot to us. Uh, but, you know, you're not compelled to do anything. It's not the law or anything. We'll just, you know. The power of Christ compels you! Exactly. That, that That's really what it all boils down to. It's, it's about Jesus and what he uh, makes you do in the night. Jeebus compels you. He does compel you. Many compilations. Was a girth. <laughs> anyway, thank you for joining us. I'm Patrick. I'm Christopher. And I'm Jim. And we'll uh, see you in hell. Hey! Now available in podcast feeds. Don't miss your chance to join three friends as they unpack movies from their childhood. I'm just gonna watch you die. What was this film rated again? PG. And decide just how traumatic they were. That is how long they're stabbing him 
I giggled through that scene because it was so uncomfortable and weird. In Clamshell Case Files, starring the bad boy of podcasting, Quentin. I mean, if my dog killed another dog, I would protect him by burying that body, but I would never kill the dog myself. Girl Friday, Bridget. I just want to apologize to Samantha Mathis that I have been maligning her breasts for the for decades. For the and America's sweetheart, Matt. Where a yeah. giant toy elephant is blowing snow out of its hooter mm. nose oh, yes. thingy Trunk. all over it's the building. <laughs> You're invited to share in the magic of clamshell case files. Available from the Zero Science Network, wherever you download podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.